Welcome back, everyone, to a special edition of What Are You Talking About? We are rolling out a new podcast called Volume to 10. As many of the listeners probably know by this point, I have moved from Ohio. I'm living in Tennessee at this uh, at this juncture. Uh, I'm always recording these podcasts in Tennessee. I've kind of adopted it as a second home. We're devoting a whole new bonus podcast, probably monthly, just to talk about Tennessee sports. So the whole state, um, from the Memphis Grizzlies all the way to the Tennessee Volunteers, and then those teams in Nashville as well, uh, just to get you guys more content, uh, talk about a, another subset of of of, ten, of a state amount of teams, and uh, you know just just so we can get another podcast out to you guys. Uh, as always, I- I'm talking sports with my older brother Chris. Chris, what's going on, man? Not much, man. Ready to go south, get some nice southern food. <laughs> it's gonna be fun man volume to 10 it's gonna be it's a good idea bob be, you being from tennessee you kind of have a pulse on what's going on down there so we're gonna start talking some tennessee titans nashville predators memphis grizzlies and a bunch of other sports as well so it should be fun yeah definitely I, i'm pretty excited um anytime we can get another podcast out there uh talk even more sports it, it's an exciting time so uh well let's just let's just dig into it uh this podcast i think the main topic is going to be the tennessee titans uh heading into the off season going through some changes they fire ken wisenhut after just seven games into the regular season uh appointed mike malarkey as their interim head coach and then they announced that mike malarkey is going to be their permanent head coach in the off season uh also fired their old gm and hired john robinson as new gm uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on the Mike Malarkey hire? Well, it's uninspiring to say the least. I don't think this moves the needle for Tennessee fans. He's only had three full years as head coach. Uh, in 2004 was easily his best year, 9-7 and seven on the doorstep of the playoffs with Buffalo. All they had to do was beat Pittsburgh, who was 14-1 and one going into Week 17, rested all their starters because New England – they had the tiebreaker over them, so they had clinched the number one seed. And they couldn't even beat them, a, a Pittsburgh team that benched all its players. All they had to do was beat that team. They would have been 10-6, and six, and they would have made the playoffs, but they didn't. So they missed it. And then his second year, they went 5-11. and 11. He got axed. Got hired from Jacksonville in 2012, went 2-14. and 14, And he got axed again. After one year, which is kind of ridiculous, if you ask me. Jacksonville hires the guy, knowing that they had a lot of holes to patch, and then he gets fired. Kind of like what Ken Wisenhut just got. You know, they knew they had a lot of holes to patch. They knew this was going to be a process. They draft him a rookie quarterback. Ken Wisenhut is, uh, you know, has a reputation of developing quarterbacks and having strong offensive mindset, and yet they fired him just seven games into his second season. So the question I have is, why did they even fire Ken Wisenhunt to begin with? I know the record was bad, but if you can't judge the guy on record if you bring him in for a long-haul, long-term rebuilding effort. He had a rookie quarterback. Mariota had a strong start to the season, kind of faded. Why do you think, I mean, why fire Wisenhunt? That's my question. I, I personally would rather have a third year of Wisenhunt over a third go-around of Mike Malarkey. 
Yeah, we were talking uh, before the podcast started. It's it's really surprising that a guy like Mike Malarkey is giving a third chance in the NFL to be a head coach. Most guys are lucky to get one chance, and if they don't succeed, they're back to being a coordinator or a position coach. This is his third third chance, and he's had one winning season in those three and a half seasons that he's coached. That's another crazy thing that he's been hired as a head coach three times and only has three and a half seasons of head coaching experience to put on his resume uh, for that third coaching hire. So definitely not inspiring. And, you know, the greatest asset that Mike Malarkey is bringing to the Titans is that he, there isn't going to be a sweeping change in the personnel in the coaching staff. But if that was the case, if you don't want, if you want to keep stability for your young guys, for your young quarterback, why not keep the proven offensive guru, quarterback guru, Ken Wisenhunt, who's done a great job uh, coaching up guys like Philip Rivers, uh, he he has a good resume, and I don't like like you. It the Mike Malarkey hiring looks even worse because you fired Ken Wisenhunt uh, just a few months ago. It, it's very bizarre, and I just don't think it's inspiring. Uh, it's just there were other head coaching candidates out there that that definitely uh, warranted a look. It, it's not a splashy hire. It, it's it's not inspiring at all. Uh, the main head coach out there that I thought was destined to become the Tennessee Titans head coach this season was Chip Kelly. Uh, I thought the writing was on the wall, him getting fired, Titans uh, having an interim head coach, Marcus Mariota being the starting quarterback. Chris, are you surprised that the Titans, uh, by all reports, didn't even interview Chip Kelly? Stunned and shocked. (laughs) It doesn't even begin to describe it. I mean, all NFL draft last year was how Chip Kelly was making all these moves just to make a push for Marcus Mariota at number two or even number one overall. And he he offered a, a king's ransom, if the reports are true, to get that pick. It, it was an obscene amount of players and picks. And then here the job comes open and he's not even considered. So maybe it was one of those things where it was love on one side but not on the other you know maybe chip kelly was courting the titans and the titans were kind of stiff arming him a little bit i don't know but it certainly is a head scratcher because it seems like that was a good fit marcus Mariota, chip kelly back together again old college flings reuniting all that (laughs) thing stuff so I don't understand why they didn't even consider him. Well, I guess, like I said, I mean, it's clear that there was more affinity to coach Marcus Mariota on Kelly's side. If the Titans never wanted Chip Kelly, then it's all a moot point. And, and clearly they weren't even considering him. If they didn't even interview him, according to the reports, then it's it was clearly a one-sided romance affair but back to your point, though, and this, this is the best point you made. If you're going to just keep the same coaching staff and keep continuity with Mike Malarkey, why did you fire the head coach to begin with? Yeah. That's what makes zero sense about this hire. You know, Usually when you fire a head coach, the interim guy holds down the seat, but he knows his job's done because why, why would they keep him? If you're going to keep continuity, you would have just kept the other guy. So maybe Mike Malarkey is another dead man walking because Mike Malarkey's resume is the epitome of this knee-jerk NFL era. I mean, the guy <laughs> goes 9-7 and seven with a team that overachieved in 2014, the Buffalo Bills. Then they do what they're supposed to do when he gets fired. 
The Jacksonville Jaguars hire this guy and fire him after one year. You're the Jacksonville Jaguars. You have been awful. What did you expect? Did you think he was going to come in here and work a miracle in Jacksonville? So, to be fair to Mike Malarkey, he hasn't really been given a fair chance at any place he's been. Maybe Tennessee recognizes that he has been an overlooked talent and says, you know what, let's give him some room to breathe. Or maybe he is in another situation where he's just keeping the seat warm this year because the Titans whiffed on some of the big names. They were the last team to make a hire, so they stuck with the status quo, and maybe they're going to jump in for their head coach and try to get a bigger name next year. I think that would be even more foolish because you should have just kept Wisenhunt, and if Wisenhunt didn't work out after three years, then you could be justified a little bit more in firing him and going after that big name. So either way, the move, it just doesn't make much sense. No, it doesn't. And uh, before we go on, just you said hired Mike Malarkey in 2014. 2004 was the time he got hired in, in Buffalo. Sorry so about that. I was a little 10 Just a little clear. 10, 10 years off there. My bad. Yeah. <laughs> just just uh, not, not to confuse anyone listening. Um, but, but back to Chip Kelly. I mean, he's getting – it's hard to believe that he's already on this road to redemption, that he's – a, a tainted head coach just because of his one terrible year as general manager. But go back to those two years before 10 and six records for Philadelphia first in the NFC East in 2013, second in the NFC East in 2014, even at six and nine, the Philadelphia Eagles finished second in the NFC East this year. Uh, that's because the NFC East was a train wreck, but still six and nine is uh, better than all but one of Mike Malarkey's coaching years. So Chip Kelly is a proven coach and is a proven offensive coach and as a proven commodity with Marcus Mariota, it's it's very shocking that they went with such a unimpressive coaching hire when you had what looked like to be the match made in heaven out there that seemed per, like a perfect fit. But maybe the reports of, of Kelly not being a a, a player's coach, uh, you know, Philadelphia Eagles players really didn't like him. Maybe the they thought that he would eventually get power hungry again, want to be GM and didn't want that uh in the locker room, but I don't know. Comparing Chip Kelly to Mike Malarkey, I, I would go Chip Kelly nine times out of ten, man. So uh, it was a very bizarre, very bizarre coaching hire for for the Tennessee Titans. But uh, maybe Mike Malarkey, like you said, will get a fair chance and he'll get uh, a couple years to actually prove his worth. Um, yeah, this is one last thing. Though, oh, I'm sorry, Chip Kelly. I would hire him as a coach. I think he's on a redemption tour as a general manager. That's where things went wrong, and I think that that's on the owner, Jeffrey Lurie, for giving him all that power. I think he should have walked the line and said, no, this is how we've done business. This is what's worked. This is what's worked all those years. We are going to maybe let you have a little more say in personnel decisions, but we are not going to give you the general manager's job. And I think the power struggle is why Chip Kelly is out. He Two ten, back-to-back 10-win seasons in the NFL shows that the man can coach. And it's not like he had great quarterbacks those years. He had Mark Sanchez and Nick Foles. And he won 10 games with those guys running the show. But he genocided. Not genocide. Jettisoned. Whoa. Not genocide. No, yeah. Take it easy there. Jettisoned all of the talented receivers and players that helped make that system go uh, as over the course of the his two years there, which is part of the problem. You know, the cupboard was full, and then he slowly unstocked it. Why? I don't know, but I think he's he can coach. 
you clearly just don't want him as your general manager. No, definitely not. Uh, Chip Kelly, the coach, is, is a good coach. Chip Kelly, the GM, uh, we don't really want to talk about that again. Uh, very bad year. Uh, all right, so Tennessee Titans finished with the worst record in the NFL. They have that number one pick. Uh, we'll get to the draft in a second, but just what's their biggest need heading into this offseason? They have a new regime. They have a they have their head coach. What about the players? What What is the biggest hole? See, here's the tricky part because they have the number one pick, and it's easy to say, oh, they got their quarterback. Let's go take a big, strong defensive player. And the number one player in this draft, by most people's accounts, is Joey Bosa, the number one overall prospect. And he's a big defensive player who can, by all accounts, should be the pass rusher any team would want. Again, these are projections. These are mock drafts. These are quote-unquote experts. Nothing's a proven given anything. However, when you take a a closer look at Tennessee... They were 12th in total defense last year. And now sometimes that can be deceiving because the Cleveland Browns some years have been 12th in total defense and the number of five passing defense, but they have the 30th ranked rush defense. So wonder why they were so strong in that category. It's because they were being exploited somewhere else. But 17th versus the run and 7th versus the pass, that's pretty balanced. So their defense with 39 sacks, 12th in the league, not terrible. I don't think that there's a glaring need on defense. Maybe they just draft a guy to help build it up. But then you go to the offensive side. 25th in passing. 25th in rushing. I know Marcus Mariota's a rookie. 30th in total offense. One of just 13 teams not to average 100 yards rushing. Now, to be fair, David Cobb, they drafted him. Supposed to be a very talented rookie out of Minnesota, and he showed a few flashes. I know he had a very rough year, but he was out for the first day of games on that limited IR designated to return. I think he should have a better sophomore year. Had a lot of talent in Minnesota. So I don't think they need a running back. I think they need to get Marcus Mariota some weapons. So I think they need to go out and get the biggest, baddest wide receiver or tight end or, or protect him with the offensive line. Some Build up that offense because you have a young rookie quarterback. I think that's their glaring need. And if that is their glaring need, then they should trade the number one overall pick to someone who wants to come up and get either Jared Goff or uh, Paxton Lynch, uh, someone like St. Louis who's desperate for a quarterback, Jeff Fisher, going to be on the hot seat this year, maybe even Houston at 22. They were in the playoffs. If they can move all the way up to one and draft that quarterback and get a big, strong rookie quarterback with that elite defense and capitalize off this window. I think Houston's a team that could be desperate to move up to get one of those guys because they're on the cusp of being something pretty special. And you see in the NFL, your window isn't that big when you have an elite unit like that. So if I'm Tennessee, I'm looking to shop the pick, get some resources, address other needs, and mainly on that offensive side, get Marcus Mariota some weapons and build him up. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, you rattled off a lot of stats there. Um, the one stat that that's that pops out to me above all else is Tennessee Titans gave up 54 sacks last year. That's the most a team has given up in the NFL. Granted, uh, you know Mariota missed time. Zach Mettenberger started uh, a couple games for them, so it you know he was hit so much that he had to miss games and that's you can't have that happen when you you, you drafted a quarterback number 2 overall he's he's your guy that you got to protect so yes they need to address the offensive line they need to fix that i think you fix that via free agency uh, i i'm hesitant to fix that with your number 1 overall pick just because uh 
you know, we're going to, because they took Taylor Lewan and Chance Warmack in back-to-back years before drafting uh, Marcus Mariota, two top 10 picks in the offensive line. Uh, they need, they, they can address this elsewhere and fix it. I mean, are you really going to have two top 10 tackles drafted within two years of each other playing on that offensive line, relegating one to the right tackle position? Uh, that seems a, a little bit wasteful to me. Uh, that being said, uh, so I would want to bring in youth on the defensive side because uh, while the defense did perform well, they uh, are pretty old and there are a lot of bad contracts on that team. I think they're only going to regress further. Uh, they they did not allow a lot of yards, but they did rank uh, in the bottom 10 in, in giving up points. I think they averaged uh, 26 points allowed on that defensive side and then the turnover ratio was also really bad for the Tennessee Titans I think they were 30th only the Baltimore Ravens and the Dallas Cowboys were worse than the Tennessee Titans in turnover ratio so I think you need some to add some playmakers on defense I think you can do that in the draft I think you address the offense via free agency that's your biggest need heading into the offense (laughs) heading into the offseason keeping Marcus Mariota upright is priority number one Getting him some more reliable pass catchers. You have Delaney Walker, really good pass catching tight end. You have that uh, project in Doriel Green Beckham. And you have some semi-reliable targets at wide receiver, but maybe he needs a couple more options. And and maybe, like you said, David Cobb can have a better second season, but uh, maybe look into adding a veteran running back as well. I think those are your biggest free agency offseason needs, and then you're going to address the the defensive side of the ball uh, in the draft. Yeah, my philosophy on running backs is simple. Build up the offensive line and draft young guys. If you want to build depth there, get a guy in the fourth, fifth round. I'm not a big fan of signing veteran running backs. That's just my personal philosophy. I'd also like to apologize to the people of Los Angeles because I'm still not used to seeing Los Angeles on the draft board. I'm looking for St. Louis here, and I'm like, the St. Louis Rams, where are they drafting? <laughs> recent move moved to los angeles so i'm still getting used to seeing la with an nfl team so i apologize for referring to the rams as st louis just there but they are drafting 15th that would not be a huge move for them to move up to number one obviously it would cost a lot but compared to houston at 22 houston might want to wait for uh, some of those big 10 quarterbacks that are going to fall in the draft but certainly you could definitely go defense i mean if you've got the number one pick and you're three and 13 I think you could draft the best player available regardless of position. And unless you already have the rookie quarterback, it's going to work out. I mean, because there's always a top quarterback and then a top non-quarterback guy available in every draft. So they already got the quarterback. Just draft the next best guy available, and he's probably going to make an impact because you were 3-13 and last year. There was a lot of holes on this team. If they went Joey Bosa number one overall, I don't think anyone would blame them because he is a young guy, as you said, in aging defense, comes in by all accounts as the best prospect in this draft, and if he can turn into 70% of what J.J. Watt is, you've got an elite pass rusher. So the point is... Yes, I would not be surprised if they just picked a guy at number one and and picked the best player available. It will help your team. I, I agree. You can go into the offseason and maybe sign a big wide receiver. There will be a couple of names available, a couple of offensive linemen available. If Alex Mack were to opt out of Cleveland, maybe he could be a good fit there. So, yes, we don't know 
a lot just yet. I mean, there, there are still holes that they can fill via free agency if they want to go that route. But certainly a lot of options are on the table for Tennessee because they have the luxury of already having their franchise quarterback. Marcus Mariota had a solid enough rookie year that lets the franchise know that he could potentially be their franchise quarterback. But you're absolutely right. Priority number one is keeping him upright. they got to address the offensive line in some way, shape, or form. And priority number two is to just get more blue-chip talent on this team. And when you have the number one overall pick, it's a rare opportunity to draft the best player in the draft. If you can find him, I certainly wouldn't blame them for just saying no. No amount of offer can make up for getting the best player in this draft. We trust our scouting department. Let's get a guy who can make an impact right away. Yeah, so just, just so I'm clear, are you advocating for trading down? Is that your, your pick for, for the Titans, or, or do you have a guy in mind that you want number one? I actually think they should just take Joey Bosa, personally. I know I advocated for them trading down, but I could see them going a number of different ways. I mean, they have options because they have the quarterback in place. If someone blows them away with an offer, like... Los Angeles formerly, well, technically St. Louis did this. I don't think L.A. wants to be blamed for this trade, even though it kind of worked out for them. Funny thing about the RG3 trade, Washington's made the playoffs twice in the aftermath of the trade. The Rams haven't. So everyone says it's a big win for the Rams, but Washington's the one turning it into the playoff appearances. I just think it's funny, though, last year RG3 didn't play. Anyway, point being, if someone blows Tennessee away, and gives them two or three years of first-round picks, I mean, I don't see how you can pass that up. Because now you can still take a guy in the top 15 to 20 and then have two first-round picks the next two years. Is that worth passing on a guy, number one overall, unless they feel Joey Boza is a can't-miss guy and they feel great about him, I could, I could go either way. I could really go either way. On one hand, you're getting a guy who could come in and play immediately. On the other hand, you're loading up on resources and potentially getting multiple guys on a long-term basis. Yeah, uh, I, I think you said it earlier. I mean, if you have the number one pick and you already have your quarterback, you could take anybody, and I think everyone will be happy with it, uh, unless you take like a random player that was going in the seventh round. I mean, you could take a number of different options, that number one pick, and people will be like, yeah, that." that makes sense. Um, I agree with you. If an offer is on the table for multiple first round draft picks to, to trade down, I would do it because if you look at the, the, the mock drafts that are coming out, you have a couple offensive tackles in that top 15. You have those two big time quarterbacks and the rest of the, the guys being projected are defensive players. The Titans could use any of those defensive players, not just Joey Bosa, who I agree would be the ideal choice at number one. If you're staying pat, he, he would definitely be the ideal choice. Uh, but there are other guys that are really good. Uh, Jalen Ramsey, Miles Jack, Vernon Hargreaves, Kevin Dodd, Shaq Lawson. I mean, you, you could go a number of different ways. And if you can score some extra draft picks to, to supplement uh, that aging defense, I, I think that's the best route. Uh, again, you know, Laramie Tunsil is a name that's coming up a lot with the Tennessee Titans, the tackle from Mississippi. Uh, I would be like, I would respect that move. But then you have three first-round draft picks used on offensive linemen in the last four years. That just seems a little silly to me. But, hey, Marcus Mariota is priority number one. If you feel inclined to go that way, 
all power to you, John Robinson. You just said the guy got sacked 52 times, so they might have to pour some more resources into that offensive line, and their running attack has struggled 25th in the league. So clearly offensive line is a big need, either in free agency or the draft. I think if they were to draft the best offensive lineman available, maybe not number one overall, maybe after a trade, or draft a a top-shelf offensive lineman, I don't see how you can blame them when you're rattling off those kind of numbers. You have a zero running a game and your quarterback's getting brutalized. Uh, That just screams offensive line problems. So clearly they need to invest more resources on the offensive line, whether that's their first-round pick this year or something in free agency remains to be seen. And, and, And that's another point we really need to stress here. It's hard to project what teams are going to do in the draft at all. But it's even harder when we don't even know what they're going to do in free agency just yet. So a lot can change between now and April. But outside looking in, again, you got to stress this. When you're 3-13 and 13, drafting number one overall, there aren't many picks you can make that people will say that was terrible. They've got needs everywhere. Unless they draft a kicker or a punter with that pick, I think people are going to ju- be able to justify whoever they take yeah definitely all right so we've talked about just about everything with the titans except for the john robinson hire uh their new general manager coming over as player per- director of player personnel from the tampa bay buccaneers for the last couple of years uh chris what do you what do you think of this move well anytime you go out and hire a guy who has had experience with a winning organization and i'm not talking about tampa bay i'm talking about all the time he spent with new england from 2002 to 2013 moving all the way up to director of college scouting, which is in most organizations the third highest rung next to director of player personnel and then general manager. He then takes a step up with Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay actually has a lot of talent on it. I mean, they've got some good defensive players. They've got some good weapons for Jameis Winston on offense. He's loaded that cupboard up a little bit. Made some savvy moves. I think he set them up to maybe be a factor in the NFC over the next couple of years if Winston can continue to develop. So he did a good job with Tampa, kind of writing that ship. Obviously very experienced with New England. He's unproven because he's never been a general manager before. But you got to give a guy a chance. And I think when you look at a guy's resume, an unpro- a guy who's never been a GM before, I'd be hard-pressed to find many resumes that are better than this. So... Certainly a solid hire. Remains to be seen whether or not he'll work out. But anytime you can hire a guy who's been involved with how many Super Bowls would that have been? I, I mean, he, he was with them from 2002 to 2013. So that's three Super Bowls and five Super Bowl appearances. I mean, you're involved with that as a scout. Have a hand, have a fingerprint on, on reshaping that team after 2008 from 09 to 13. Uh, I'd, I'd take a shot at him. No problem. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really good hire. Uh it's hard to determine how much credit he deserves, but you know his name is associated with drafting guys like Julian Edelman, Robin Gronkowski, uh, McCordy, uh, Nate Solder, a number of guys on that Patriots team. So uh, that's a really good resume, and uh, he he translated that into getting really good players in Tampa Bay, uh, Mike Evans, Jameis Winston, just to name a few. He he did a good job building that team up. The results haven't uh, flowed in yet, but they, they took a good step forward last year. Uh, I think it's a good move. I don't I don't think you're going to get if, – if you're going to go the unproven route, I think that's the way to do it. John Robinson looks like a really good hire. Yeah, I mean, and you're right. I mean, Bill Belichick 
is a, is the co- kind of co-GM. He always shares it. It was Nick Pioli before, and I believe it's uh, Cassero. Nick Cassero now is their sort of co-GM there. They kind of split up the GM's duties. But when you go down the rung, director of college scouting, that's a very high you know, rank within an organization. And so he, he certainly has his fingerprints all over those New England drafts. Director of player personnel is usually the number two position to the GM in a traditional structure in like Tampa Bay is employing. So again, he, he's had his fingerprints on a New England rebuilding process from 2009 to 2013, or should I say retooling process? They never really rebuilt it. Uh, and then a rebuilding process in Tampa Bay that seems to be going the right way, uh, you're right. I mean, I, I just, if you're going to go the unproven route, I doubt that there's a stronger resume than this. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Any last thoughts on the Tennessee Titans? Oh, I'm sure we're going to be talking about the Tennessee Titans a lot between now and April because they have that number one pick and because they have Marcus Mariota entrenched as their franchise starter. There's going to be a lot of noise coming out of Tennessee and other teams with regards to whether or not they'll trade the pick and just exactly what they're going to do. It's going to be one of those interesting years where uh, a team drafting number one doesn't need the elite quarterback or supposedly elite franchise quarterback that will be available there. So I don't think this is going to be the last time we talk about Tennessee, uh, not just on volume the 10, but overall. Yeah, definitely. They're in a position of power. Um, it's not They're not in that position of power for a good reason. Uh, they have had the worst record last year. But, yeah, we will definitely be talking about them a lot Uh in the NFL offseason, they look to be big players, and uh, they look to be kind of progressing forward. So hopefully that that will work out for them. All right. Uh, we are now going to wade into some uncharted territory uh, on, from the Fenley Road Sports crew going into the NHL. Uh, admittedly, Chris and I aren't incredibly knowledgeable, but we try. We enjoy the NHL when we when we watch it. Um, and so we're going to talk a little Nashville Predators. Uh, I like going to the Preds games. They're really fun. I go once or twice a year. Uh, I really enjoy it. Um, the Preds aren't exactly having the year people expected them to have. Last year, they finished second in the Central, 104 points. This year, they're sitting uh, way down in, in the Central, uh, out of the top three playoff contention Uh though they are sitting in ninth place overall in, in the Western Western conference with a uh, 50 points, just a point out of that second wild card spot. Um, Chris, do you have any reason for why the Preds are, are kind of regressing this year? No, not really. I tried to find one. Uh, their off season seemed kind of ho-hum. Uh, I can't really find a, a pinpoint. I can't pinpoint an exact reason as to why they're struggling. They started off hot and ever since their hot start in the first couple months, they started, you know, they've slipped with a 12, 16, and 6 record after a 7, 1, and 2 opening month. So, kind of, and th- this was a midseason report I looked up, so this might not be where they are right now. Uh, this is when they were 19, 17, and 8. But, you know, they made a blockbuster trade. They went out and got Columbus's center, Ryan Johansson, who is arguably one of the best centers in the league. They went out and got him, but they've proceeded to go 2-4-1 since that trade. So it hasn't exactly just worked out yet. I don't know what's wrong with them, to tell you the truth. By all accounts, they have a very talented defense, one of the strongest uh, defensive lines in the league. So 
I don't know. I, th I think they're probably just a product of playing in a very tough Central Division. When you look at the standings, there are three teams in the Central that have 60 points. The Blues, the Stars, and the Blackhawks. You look at any other division, the M Metropolitan has one team with 73, everyone else under 60. The Kings have 61. The Sharks are number two with 51 points. And then you go over to the Atlantic Division, nobody has 60 points. So I think they're just in a very tough division. And to have 50 points and a winning record at this point is solid. And so I think, like you said, they're not that far out of the playoffs. They're only a couple, what, three points out of the playoffs? I think I think the Avalanche have 53 uh, well, points. They're just one point, one point away. Exactly. So, I mean, they're not that far off from getting into the postseason. It's probably just some natural regression from playing in a very tough division. I mean, you got the defending Stanley Cup champs and two other teams with 60, 65 and 64 points. So I think that, that from a scheduling standpoint, they're probably playing one of the tougher schedules in the league. Yeah, like you, uh, I tried to find a reason. Um, a lot of my friends are, are Preds fans, and, and they haven't really offered me a, a good tangible reason. By all accounts, the Predators have, have stayed, stood relatively healthy this year. I think... They're even more healthy than they were uh, last year when they had such a good season. Um, like you, I, I come to the, came to the conclusion that there are just six other teams that are as good or better than them in a division of seven, which is pretty crazy. I mean, the Jets are only five points back from the Predators in last place in that division. So they're just they're in the power division. If they were in the Pacific, the other division in the Western Conference, they would be in fourth place and just a point out of tying for second place in that division. So they aren't doing terribly. They aren't bad. It's just, there are a lot of teams stuck in their division that are outperforming them and outplaying them by all accounts. Like you said, you know, defense is their strength. Uh, offense, not so much. They, they have a minus seven goal differential at this point, which isn't really good. I know Pekka is, is their goalie and everyone loves him and he's a all-star and, uh, that is kind of debatable. Uh, you know, Nashville uh, is hosting the All-Star game, so th they kind of get some 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 leans toward toward selections. He's not exactly performing up to the standards that that people expect Pekka to play at. So that might be a reason. But again, you know, fifty points at, at this state of the game, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just that other teams got got better or other teams had down years last year that are are, are bouncing back in in that central division and the predators are, are are standing pat and and are on the outside looking in yeah and to your point about them playing in that tough division they'd only be one point out of the pacific as you said but if they played in the pacific they wouldn't have to play these teams as much so their schedule would get a little easier and maybe instead of a 50-point team, they're more like a 55-point team and they're number two in the Pacific safely in the playoffs. So I I think that's what it is. I mean, you look at their offseason, they didn't really lose anyone big. They, they kept their team intact. Uh, it doesn't, you can't really pinpoint one thing. I just think that they're in a very tough division and this is what happens when you play in a tough division. Sometimes you go from third to seventh, and it's hard to stay consistent when you've got three kind of monsters at 64, 65, and 68 points, one of them being the Chicago Blackhawks, who have won three Stanley Cups in the last, what, six years? And the last Stanley, they're the defending Stanley Cup champions, trying to continue that sort of dynasty that they have going on. So, yeah, it's it's very tough, and I think that that's probably the biggest reason is that they're they're playing in a tough division, 
and they're just trying to find some consistency, trying to find their footing. Yeah, I for, I forgot to to roll out this stat bomb uh, in my last uh, piece, but the Preds are six ten and two against the Central, five two and two against the Pacific. That kind of confirms your points. They're they're eleven and twelve and four in conference. So, uh, yeah, they're just they are a middle team in a in what is the better conference, and, and they're they're being punished for it. Uh, that's just kind of how it goes in, in professional sports. It, it it's not always fair, even though you play so many games. Uh, another stat is they, they're a really good home team. They're really bad away. Uh, they have they have a really good record at home, a winning record, and then they have a, a very poor sub-500 record away. So they just seem to be a, kind of a, a decent team at this point. Um, maybe they can make a run. There's, there's still plenty of time for that. But, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're just better teams in, in their division. Certainly, and I think – you know, when you're a team that's trying to find some consistency, because I know Nashville is not not a great hockey franchise. When you're trying to find some consistency, it's always harder to do that when you're in a tougher division. So they're not. The, it's not the end of the world, though. As we said, they're not that far out of the playoffs as it is. They certainly could qualify. Certainly could make it up. It'll be tough to catch those three teams in their division, but wild card spot is certainly in play. Yeah, certainly. So exciting things for. Uh... For Nashville and the NHL scene, hosting the NHL All-Star Game at the end of this month, January 30th and 31st, are the festivities. Uh, it's going to be a good time. Uh, you know, Nashville knows how to throw a party, so it, it'll always be fun. Uh, they're rolling out celebrity guest coaches. They're all country stars. Dirk Bentley, Chris Young, or Vince Gill, they're going to be uh, in the coaches box with, uh, with the um, four uh, NHL coaches as the division leaders. So, you know, they, they know how to roll out a red carpet and have a good time in Nashville. I think it's going to be fun. The biggest news uh, of the NHL All-Star Game this year is the three-on-three format. They're adopting the overtime rules for a uh, three-game tournament that's going to span the course of, of two days, uh, just a 20-minute mini-game three-on-three uh, for each division, and then the division winners are going to play in a final, and then they're, the winner of that is going to split a million dollars between the 11 te- players on those three-on-three teams. Chris, do you like this three-on-three format? I give the NHL props for trying to get creative with the All-Star game. You know, they were the first to go to the fantasy draft format instead of the traditional conference format, which the Pro Bowl has copied and the NBA copied with their Rising Stars game. So I give them credit for trying to break the mold and keep the All-Star games fun and relevant. But to me, and forgive me if I'm a purist, but I want to see an all-star game if you're going to play an all-star game. Like, you know, play, play, have the best players on the ice. Play an actual hockey game with the stars. I think that's what fans really want to see. There's no doubt that this is going to be fun. Three-on-three hockey is exciting. And the overtime rules, by all accounts, have made overtime more exciting and a little bit more fun for the fans. And it's eliminated shootouts, which was its ultimate goal. But... To play it as an all-star game, the tournament idea is kind of cute. Why not just play a back-to-back? Do the semifinals Saturday and then the finals on Sunday. That might be too much hockey. But the point is, I want to see a game. I want to see a three-period hockey game with the best stars on the ice and just go at it. I don't care if it's a fantasy draft. I don't care if it's conference versus conference. That's what I would want to see. That's why I like to see in the other sports. That's the allure of the All-Star game. And I think that this format 
while probably it's probably gonna be fun and exciting, but it it's not really an all star game. Yeah, I, I understand that that mentality, but as a casual fan of the NHL, a, a very casual fan of the NHL, I'm excited for it. I think it's gonna be really fun. Um, I think it plays completely in line with what the NHL has done the last 10 years really in trying to find any way to get more goals scored in their game and, and to just which they think it creates more excitement to the casual fans so they're going to be more goal scored and it's going to be a lot more it's going to be a lot more fast paced there're going to be a lot of fast breaks and breakaways to for one-on-ones versus the goalie so it's going to be it's going to be exciting and it's going to be fun to watch I am more excited to watch this than I think I would be to watch a, just a typical NHL all-star game. Um, I think it's going to be cool. I wish that uh, you, we could have both. Maybe we could have a three on three tournament, take some of the, the best uh, snubbed all-star players and they can play in a three on three tournament uh, during the all-star weekend and, and kind of add to the weekend. Like the NBA has the dunk contest and three point shootout. The MLB has the home run derby. We could have a little three-on-three tournament in the NHL as well. Um, but I, I'm kind of excited to see it. You know, It's going to showcase the what the NHL thinks is the most marketable part about their sport, and that's goal scoring. So uh, for me, I, I think it's going to be really fun. You know what? I think that's a very good idea. Make this a Saturday event and maybe take three – maybe take six all-stars on the team and have them on the three-on-three team and do the three-on-three tournament – on Saturday, and then still play a game on Sunday. I, I'm not saying this isn't going to be fun and exciting, because it certainly sounds like a fun and exciting idea. I like the idea of having a tournament, of having something a little different in your All-Star festivities, but this sounds like like it could be a strong undercard, like the highlight of the Saturday skills competition, kind of like the dunk contest or the three-point shootout is for the NBA or the home run derby is for the MLB. This sounds like it would be a solid undercard Saturday night headlining event and then play the game a lead into the game on Sunday that is your traditional all-star game for the hockey purists who want to see a hockey game between the best in the world and I think that but because that's what an all-star game is it puts the best on the world on the ice as voted by the fans so maybe not truly the best in the world we're probably going to talk about a little bit of a controversy with that in a minute but yeah. uh the point I'm making here is if you're going to do an all-star game, do an all-star game. I'm not saying 3v3 isn't going to be fun, and I'm not saying I'm not exciting or intrigued by it. I'll probably tune in just to see what it's all about. I'm not, Like I said, I don't watch hockey regularly, but this, this is piquing my interest. And so it has accomplished what it intended to do. But I think it would be a better Saturday event leading into the all-star game rather than replacing the all-star game. I still think tr- true hockey fans, hardcore hockey fans, want to see a hockey game with the best players. No, that's understandable. I don't think you're the only one uh, voicing that, that concern. Um, but uh, kudos to NHL to just try and draw up some viewership. Uh, they seem to always be a step ahead of the other all-star games. You know, it, all-star game is hard to do, hard to put on and hard to, to balance the line of competitiveness and everyone staying healthy for, for an exhibition game. I agree um, so. 100% with that. And props to the NHL for being a little innovative, you know, not only with the All-Star game, but the Winter Classic has been outstanding. Uh, They have definitely, over the last 10 years, tried some new and fun ideas 
to just make the game a little more fresh. So props to them for at least trying some new things. And I think if this works, there's a place for both. Do a three-on-three tournament and an all-star game. But I just don't think you should get rid of the traditional game. Yeah, understandable. Um, All right, so we got four teams, uh, 11 players on each team, uh, separated by division. What's your analysis of the rosters? Uh, what's what's your biggest snub in the NHL All-Star roster? Well, I don't really know, uh, to tell you the truth. Um, I don't have the depth and the breadth of NHL experience to kind of uh, point out a huge snub or, or, or anything. But I know John Scott being voted into the All-Star game uh, was kind of a head-scratcher, to say the least. Uh, Bob, what did you think about that? Uh, again, I think it's... It's funny. Uh, I think it shows that there's a fan base out there that uh, is is invested and interested in the game. Uh, I thought it was really sad how he got traded away and then he got put onto the AHL team, Montreal's AHL team, even though he was voted the captain of the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, he's going to be the captain of Pacific Division. But uh, good for the NHL to kind of save face, um, squash any rumor that they were trying to prevent john scott from getting on the team and actually letting him captain the roster that is very in terms of a talent and the top 40 all-stars uh or 44 all-stars playing on sunday and monday uh that's that is a head scratcher but you, you opened up opened it up to fan voting and the fans made it happen i mean i'm sure it wasn't easy to get john scott voted uh number one uh one one of the the get the most votes in that division. I mean, it's not like this is Kobe Bryant out with the ACL tear getting the most votes in the Western Conference. This is a nobody getting the most votes in a division that's that has lots of talent. So um, a very funny, interesting story, and I'm glad, you know, this is a human being. So for him to, like, be traded to Canada and then stash at AHL team, maybe because of this, uh, seemed a little harsh, and so I'm glad that he's actually getting a chance to play in the All-Star game. Um, for my roster analysis, the Central Division looks stacked, man. They have four of the five top goal scorers on that team. They got Patrick Kane, Tyler Seguin, Jonathan Taos, uh in the front line, Roman Josie from Nashville in their back line. And I think, uh, you know, we talked about the Central Division being the toughest division, the best division, having almost all their teams really good with winning records. Naturally, there's going to be a snub there. Uh, I think the biggest snub is Corey Crawford, the Blackhawks goalie, not on that central division roster. Uh, probably because Nashville's hosting Pekka got named uh, to the all-star roster and uh, Corey Crawford, one of the best goalies in all of NHL is going to be sitting at home. So uh, that seems to be a biggest snub. And then just one, one last thing, it's always weird when Sidney Crosby isn't an all-star, and he's not an all-star this year, and that's very strange. Kind of strange, but Crosby has sort of, he's faded a little bit as far as a star goes. Uh, it's certainly not shocking, given that he's in a division with the Rangers and the Capitals, uh, some very good teams. But but yeah, no, I, I think that was completely wrong. If he got traded to Montreal and stashed in the minors just to prevent him from playing on the all-star game, talking about John Scott... Look, if you're going to give the fans the power to decide the teams, then don't take that power away from them after you don't like the result. If you don't want the fans to vote, take the vote away from them and choose your own teams. But if you open it up to the fans, which is part of the allure of the All-Star game, you got to live with the decisions. No, yeah, absolutely. So I think 
I think they tried to, they, I, I'm kind of believing that they tried to stash him away uh, and to not let him play, but I think they got called out on it by the fans and, and by the media writing about John Scott. And um, at least they save face and at least they let John Scott come and, and, and captain that Pacific division. That's going to be the, the division to watch, the team to watch because he's on it. Um, you know, he's on it in place of probably a, a really talented player. You know, John Scott only has five career goals in, in his entire career. So uh, that'll be watch the, him the score most... like 10 goals in a three on three and be the three on three MVP and lead them to the championship. That would, that would be kind of funny. Yeah, for sure. So Bob, you are Fenley road sports is boots on the ground in Nashville. Me being up here in Ohio, I can't really speak to this as well as you can, but the city's got to be pretty excited to host an all-star game. I mean, it, it has the Titans, but the Titans are probably never going to get to host the Pro Bowl. This has got to be kind of cool for them. No, I think I think it absolutely is. Uh, if you go to a Preds game, it's a really good atmosphere, and they, they almost always come to selling out or come close to capacity. It's a really f- family-friendly atmosphere. They know how to put on a show. Um, so I think the Predators franchise definitely deserves hosting the all-star game and it's going to be a great accomplishment for them and then if you know where uh the predators play which is right on broadway and in, in the bridgestone arena which is right on top of all the honky tonks uh, it's right on the riverfront they don't really have to do anything and it's going to be a big party because there are so many establishments and live music venues right there but just you know the 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 entire nhl is coming so i'm, I'm sure they're gonna they're gonna put on a put on a show have lots of concerts indoors and outdoors it's going to be a really good atmosphere um i can't really imagine a better place to have a big sporting event than than in that bridgestone arena just because of the location that it's at it's going to be really fun for sure yeah that's the perfect spot to host it too bridgestone leads right down broadway which is right on the lake right down that street with all the partying so you're right they don't have to really do anything it's just going to be fun but this is, this is a special moment for Nashville. I mean, you and I are Cleveland fans. We have two chances to host an all-star game, baseball and basketball. Again, Browns are probably never going to get a Super Bowl, which means they're probably never going to get a Pro Bowl. So, you know, it, it's been 20 years. We It was 97 when they hosted the both the baseball and the basketball all-star games, and they essentially had to build new arenas to get the right. So it's been 20 years for us, man, and, and – these opportunities don't come around very often. I've always said that I think the All-Star Game should rotate through every city on a you know, 30 or 32-year basis, depending on how many teams are in the league. Um, but the point is, this is going to be a rare opportunity for Nashville because this might not come around again for another 20, 25 years. So my advice to the city of Nashville is party it up, go to all the events, have a blast. I went to the three-point shootout in the dunk contest. You went to the home run derby. Uh, we both went to the jam fest that were held at the convention center. I mean, we were little then. I was in fifth grade, and so that would have put you in around first grade. Uh, so we had a blast as kids in Cleveland's you know, big moment of hosting the two All-Star games. I would encourage all the fans of Nashville to do the same and just soak it up because you're probably not going to see this again for a very long time. Yeah. I still I still have uh, lots of memories of those All-Star games coming. Uh the biggest memory though for me is Jim Tomey not hitting a single home run in the home stadium, <laughs> but uh everything else was really fun. And so yeah, it's going to be a fun event. Uh you know, you can 
it's really easy to feel the energy in Nashville when something's going on. Even if you don't have tickets to it, you can just go down and enjoy the outdoors. So uh, it'll be really fun. I hope everybody uh, is out is going to come out and enjoy it. All righty. Well, we've touched upon pretty much all of the pro Tennessee sports, except for the Memphis Grizzlies. We've hit Nashville real strong. We didn't forget about you, Memphis. We know the Grizzlies are still there. But with the Titans making all these moves and the All-Star game right around the corner, had to give some love to the other two. Don't worry, we'll get to Memphis on a future volume, the 10 episode. But Bob, Mike Conley came back on Monday, and the Grizzlies are kind of on a hot streak. They're 6-1 and one in their last seven. They've improved to 25-19 and 19 overall. They were 19-18 and 18 at one point. I mean, Mike Conley hasn't been back for all seven of those games, but he has been back for the last three uh, do you think they're starting to turn the corner? Yeah, they're going to turn uh, as big a corner as the Grizzlies can turn. Um, this is a solid team, and they're not flashy. They're they're a low-post team, so they're never going to be flashy in this NBA. But Mike Conley is the flash, and he is uh, the most important playmaker on that team just because he is a ball handler. And without him, uh, we saw what happened uh, when he missed one game against the Warriors. Uh, they got blown out. When he came back, it was a game. And, and so Mike Conley is the most important part of that team. With him and with those low post guys, Randolph and Gasol healthy, they're a really good team. And they're going to give somebody trouble in the playoffs, whoever it is. They're never going to be the favorite. But uh, with Mike Conley back, I think they always have a chance. Yeah, they're that team that you don't want to face if you're the Thunder or the Clippers. Because realistically, I think they're good enough to get the five or the six seed and avoid the Spurs and the Warriors in the first round. So if you're the Thunder and the Clippers, you just want to do everything you can not to be on the same line as the Grizzlies because I think they're the type of team that can give teams like the Thunder or the Clippers uh, fits uh, just because of the way they play defense and just their depth in the low post is just a nightmare to play against. Yeah. Well, I mean, they have given the Clippers fits. They, they knocked them out once, twice maybe. So, I mean, those were some memorable uh, postseason matchups with Zach Randolph basically driving Blake Griffin insane. So uh, that's always fun to watch. Alrighty, Well, we hope you guys enjoyed our first episode of Volume to 10. This is our Tennessee-focused podcast. we covering the Grizzlies, Predators, Titans, a lot of other Tennessee pro sports. So please come back every month for Volume to 10 episode. Just like our Clee Talk bonus podcast, here's another bonus podcast that we'll roll out on a monthly basis for you guys. But don't worry, we will have another episode, our regular episode of What Are You Talking About, coming out later this week. A lot of NFL playoffs action to talk about, some upsets in the Australian Open. And I don't know if you heard, but the Cavs made a move. We'll talk about all of that on What Are You Talking About later this week. But until then, please, FenleyRoadSports.com is the website. We've got new blogs out every week. We've got some good content. We tweet out. So you can follow us on Twitter, Fenley Road Sports. Subscribe via iTunes or Instagram. Just search Fenley Road Sports and you'll find us there. We thank you for listening and thank you for your support as usual. Come back later in this week for what are you talking about. Every month for Volume to 10 and Clee Talk, our bonus podcast. And every week for a podcast, we'll be back talking the world of sports. Until then, take care. All right, I'll see you, Chris. Take it easy, Bob.